Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House for part two of our Christmas donkey double feature. Previously we watched Rankin Bass's Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, and this time we're reading too much into the 1978 Disney short film, The Small One. I'm good enough to be in a king's stable, Mike Westfall, and joining me once again are our official Christmas donkey experts. Lindy, welcome back. Thank you so much. And Brandon, welcome back. Hello, good to be back. So this is yet another version of the backstory of the donkey Mary rode into Bethlehem while carrying the soon-to-be-born baby Jesus. And hey, it's in the Bible twice, we can give each version a separate backstory. So Nestor's can be the Luke version, and small one is much more male-oriented, so this is Matthew's version of the donkey backstory. (laughs) Dominic doesn't get a special, sorry not sorry. So the small one at 26 minutes long debuted in theaters uh, in front of a reissue of Pinocchio in 1978. The small one just uh, proves that all the people that complained about that super long Olaf short being in front of Coco, it's like Disney's been doing this stuff for years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But they used to do this more often, and Pinocchio in most of those other movies was a lot shorter than Coco. <laughs> and the small one was a lot better than Olaf's frozen adventure. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Like many Disney properties, it was based on a book, in this case a story from 1947, called The Small One, colon, A Story for Those Who Like Christmas and Small Donkeys. <laughs> That's right up my alley. Actual title, by author Charles Tazewell, who also brought us The Littlest Angel, if you're familiar with that little gem. No. He was really obsessed with small things, I guess. He was. He also did something called The Littlest Snowman. He was obsessed with all the small things. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm putting that in there. Uh, No, The Littlest Angel got turned into a TV movie at some point in the 60s, uh, and it's about some kid around this same time, around this uh, biblical Roman Empire time in the Middle East, who uh, tries to, like, catch a bird or something on a mountaintop and then falls to his death and wakes up and now has to earn his wings in the afterlife Uh, and and fred gwynn is an angel feel good christmas story i don't know if that's even a christmas story it's just another thing it is oh i was about to say is this guy just making like a cinematic universe for the christmas nativity scene he's got the donkey he's got the angel possibly you know someone how hard to get Where's Captain Marvel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Disney's adaptation of The Small One was directed by a then-young Don Bluth, and it was notably his last project with Disney. And for those not familiar with Don Bluth, you probably know him better for the stuff he did after Disney. He uh, worked on things with Disney like Sleeping Beauty and Robin Hood and The Rescuers, but after he left Disney, probably his biggest thing after Disney was Anastasia. That was the big one later in the 90s, but through the 80s he directed The Secret of Nim and An American Tale and All Dogs Go to Heaven and The First Land Before Land Time. Before time. Just the first one, not the other. I bigger than Anastasia. No, Anastasia got like 150 million or something at the box office. I'm not adjusting for inflation though. So Yeah, I don't know. I'm just remembering what 
I don't know. I was also a little older by the time Anastasia came out, but man, Land Before Time and American Tale were both huge movies in the elementary school scene. The Land Before Time was huge. He only worked on the first one, not the 13 that came yeah, out. Yeah, none of those imposters directed video crap. But you had George Lucas's name tied to it. You had Steven Spielberg's name tied yeah. to it. So yeah, those two were... You had Pizza Hut puppets. Mm-hmm. I remember. Oh, I had Ducky. I had all of them except Ducky, I think. Oh, we had, we only, they kept giving us Ducky. We had three Duckies at home. I know I had Spike. That was the first one I got. There you go. Oh, man, I'll trade you. I ended up with three Sarahs. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, Don Bluth also directed the Laserdisc video games Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Oh, Dragon's Lair. That was like the coolest looking game that was so impossible to play and super expensive at the time. Right. I think he's still trying to make a movie happen, but we'll see. Have either of you rewatched Dragon's Lair? Because they have it uploaded on YouTube. I haven't in a while. Yeah, it's. uh, I remember thinking it was so cool and it was going to be so epic, and then I rewatched it, and I'm like. This is really a lot more sexual than I remember. Yeah. That uh, princess is pretty adult. <laughs> that part I remember. But uh, And Don Bluth also, right before this, directed, well, right around the same time, uh, directed the animation of Elliot in Pete's Dragon. And that is our jumping point to two big players in the voice cast. First, uh, because the voice of the boy whose father makes him sell... Our beloved small one is Pete himself, Sean Marshall. Wake up, small one. You don't want father to catch you sleeping again. Gotta love that Disney reusing the young kids thing. <laughs> ah, yes. Which they did all the time through the 70s. They did. But this was his last film to be released in theaters. Marshall would quit acting shortly thereafter in 1980 and later grew up to be a merchant marine officer. They did better than Peter Pan. There you go. Oh... <laughs> Unfortunately, I could not find a voice credit for Small One. IMDb just lists it as Donkey. Does Small One really make anything other than just, like, soundboard donkey noises? Yeah, I don't know if that was a Frank Welker thing or, nope, actual donkey, it sounds like. It says, the thing I saw said Small One, Small One. Oh, (laughs) yeah, and Small One as himself. Yeah, that kind of thing. (laughs) I wonder if... Well, Hal Smith, who played the auctioneer, who was also Otis from the Andy Griffith show. Yes. And I had no idea before this that he w- that Otis was also the voice of Owl in Winnie the Pooh. That is correct. And oh, really? But then he's also, this is why I was bringing him up, he's also credited as being both Philippe in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yes. And Jafar's horse in Aladdin. So apparently he's good at making equine sounds, so maybe he was the voice of the small one. <laughs> Another big one, and kind of a small one, but uh, we talked about Hal <laughs> Smith back in July in our uh, episode for The Adventures of the American Rabbit. He was the wise old mentor, Bunny Dumbledore, I called him. Uh, but most people know Hal Smith from one of three places. He's either Otis from The Andy Griffith Show, or he's Alan Winnie the Pooh, or on the original DuckTales, he was both Flintheart, Glomgold, and Gyro. Oh my um, god! Yeah, I, I placed that Slimhart voice. Yes, it's that, and that's what I hear when I hear him. 
But no, I was going to talk about the boy's father and great Gotham. It's Olin Sewell, the voice of Batman and Super Friends. Yes. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you have enough work without doing small ones, too? Yes, I was so excited when I looked that up. I was like, oh, my God, his dad's Batman. No wonder he listened to him so well. <laughs> but there's um, also William Woodson, the tanner. He was voiced by the narrator from Super Friends. That's right. The later at the Hall of Justice. the Hall of Justice. And he was also <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson in the 80s Spider-Man cartoons. That's, That's right. Or a notable voice casting in a Disney regular, Thurl Ravenscroft appears in there uh, as one of the merchants, I believe. He is also Tony the Tiger, as most people would probably know him, as well as uh, one of the Haunted Mansion ghosts. Yes, that's how, well, no, that's not how I know him. That's how I want to say I know him. He's Tony the Tiger. First, you know him as Tony the Tiger. Then you know him as the voice behind the song about the worst personality traits of Mr. Grinch. Then he's the Haunted Mansion guy, and then he can do this. <laughs> I always forget that he's saying you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, until I'm listening listening to it, and then I'm like, oh my god, Tony the Tiger! Right, and this is one of those moments where Thurl Ravenscroft isn't even credited for this, but you can absolutely hear it. It is unmistakably his voice. Surprised when Lindy mentioned that because I didn't remember seeing his name. Um, but actually, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen this before tonight. Really? Um, I thought I had because I was very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was very familiar. I knew that you know it was a Don Bluth directed short, but mm-hmm. it was done for Disney and it came out in the seventies. And um, you know, I'm a big Disney animation buff, and I really thought that it was in the Walt Disney Treasure set of the rarities that has a lot of the um, shorts they directed, especially through the mm, not the earliest decades, but their later decade shorts um, that aren't like Mickey or Donald or some of the series. Um, but then when I got to looking for it as we were preparing for this episode, it's not on there. So I was like, I know it had been released on DVD at some point, and it had been on like one of their classic cartoon favorite volumes Mm -hmm. and apparently was a bonus feature on one of the Mickey's Christmas Carol DVD releases. Um, But I didn't own this one. You sent me a link where I could, we found it on wherever. Um, But I really liked this one. It's so good. It's just, it's so tasteful in the way it's done. The animation is beautiful. And on top of the fact that for a short, technically, it has awesome music and songs in it. Yeah, and it reminded me, like, Disney in the 70s, their animation, their whole studio, but especially animation, but even their live action stuff, too, um, is going through this really weird transitional period because it's after Walt's death but before like Eisner and company come in and like revamp them in the eighties. And a lot of what Disney's doing in the seventies and animation is just spinning their wheels wheels. They're trying not to rock the boat, just keep putting something out every few years mm-hmm. and survive. And I mean, Ron Miller is the executive producer on this. He was Walt's son-in-law right. and he had no background in animation, but he ran the animation studio for that <laughs> during that period of time. And he just about ran it into the ground. Um, there was a, a guy, I cannot remember who it was, who was writing a series of posts for Cartoon Brew uh, a few years ago um, called The Mouse in Transition. And it was just like his memories of being at Disney. 
in the late seventies, early eighties. And um, maybe he might've even talked about this. I'm proponent of that. It's just this, like the character designs, especially for Smallwin and the boy look very much like Don Bluth. Like oh, that oh, yeah. boy looks so much like the girl from all dogs go to heaven. Oh, you think that? Cause I think he just looks like clothed Mowgli. It well to that point they did they did the old Disney recycled animation bit that they loved to do in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. So there is a bit of Mowgli in him. Um, but then like the backgrounds and the design, it looks like like this looks like this perfect blending of Don Bluth animation and Disney animation. Yes. Um, but now the credits when the credits started rolling on this at the beginning. Because it's weird. It is that transitional time for Disney. But these credits, you could have told me, this came out in 78, but you could have told me it came out 25 years earlier than that. Yes, it's these and classic. And the credits would have looked the same. It's these classic Disney title cards and paintings as the credits roll. I kind of miss seeing that in movies, having all the credits roll in the beginning. And then at the end, it's just the end and it's done. Yeah. And yeah. I miss the open the storybook opening on the Disney yeah. fairy tale ones. Yeah, it's so nice. And I don't know if maybe it's, it's an influence from the fact that they knew it was going to open against Pinocchio, but how it does have that, like, leather storybook cover look to it, because mm-hmm. Pinocchio had that si- similar opening with the way they had, I just remember, like, a brown-covered storybook as well. Yeah. I don't know if that was just, if it was purposefully thematic like that, or if it was know. just, like, we just want to go for this old look kind of thing. Could and be. And Mickey's Christmas Carol that comes five years after this which is like their last short for a long while has the same types of title cards where it looks like it's done on old paper or old leather like you're talking about. It could be a lot of that. It could be a lot of experimenting. This is actually a big turning point in Disney animation. This is the first Disney production created exclusively by a new generation of animators at the studio with one exception. And it was uh, directing animator Cliff Nordberg is the only old timer on the staff on this. Uh, But this short film was really kind of a proving ground for their ability to create a big success later on. Uh, so this is new blood, but it still very much maintains that classic Disney flavor. So Yeah. And you can also tell watching this, especially watching it on the same night that I watched Nestor. And I enjoy Nestor for what it is, no knock on it, but it's you can definitely tell this is a Disney and they have higher standards, whether it's TV or not. But you can also tell that this is being made for a theatrical release. Um I'm sure they've got a much higher budget, but you can just see that they hold themselves to a higher standard too. I mean, just the textures, the fluidity of the animation, the detail, the warmth. You can even see that multi-plane camera stuff going on in some yes. of the establishing shots. It's just like, I know usually we kind of pick these apart, but I just want to gush over this one. Do it. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard not to gush over it. And the interesting thing too is that not only is this Don Bluth's first directorial thing for Disney, it's his last. And this kind of, I remember reading, it marked a time when some of those new animators that came on board, um, there he Don Bluth was part of a crew that wanted to stick to traditional animation styles, whereas the newer crew wanted to kind of experiment with newer stuff, which is why this is in 78. I know they started work on the uh, Black Cauldron not too long after that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first use of computer animation in an animated feature. So uh, it, it's kind of, it's 
this little film is like the last hurrah of like a truly traditional Disney yeah. film. Well, and there's also this time period, there's a lot of young animators there, like Matt was just saying. And, um, but due to the different tensions going on between the studio, not, not doing that well financially. I mean, Disney was still making a profit mostly because of the parks at that point, but their live action movies, these are like those screwballiest and cheesiest of like the Kurt Russell live action movies. That's the, <laughs> and um, stuff like in the, in the 12th Avenue Irregulars and things, that's their live action output at this time. Um, and then this and like Fox and the Hound and all like, these are the ones where that are coming out animation at the time. And we think of a lot of those, I mean, and the Winnie the Pooh shorts, but they had packaged those together from previous stuff. And like, we think of a lot of those animation ones very fondly now, but only because of their subsequent re-releases and video release. They were not, especially Fox and the Hound stuff was not successful when it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but most of these animators that they had hired all this fresh young blood, a lot of them, left they didn't stick around and they went on to be people like don bluth and tim burton and john lassiter and some others that went on to do yeah um they went on to do well-known stuff outside of disney and some came back to disney by way of pixar but um or alice in wonderland (laughs) but the one big name that did pop out to me here was richard rich who was an assistant director on this short film he would stay with disney a bit longer than Don Bluth did, and he directed The Fox and the Hound and The Black Cauldron, so needless to say, after those, he didn't stay much longer than that. But Yeah, well, right after Black Cauldron is when Eisner and them come in, and they clean a lot of house right. in the animation group, so he might have been forced out then. But Richard Rich would go on to direct The Swan Princess in 1994. Okay, see, and I thought that was a Don Bluth one. Did Don Bluth produce that? I don't believe so. I think... Don Bluth worked with Fox. That's right. Because that's the studio that had Anastasia. Mm-hmm. And I believe the Swan Princess was another studio. Yeah, I think this was Rich's own studio now that I think about it. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, but I thought that was a Don Bluth. Yeah. But Richard Rich has also directed seven Swan Princess sequels. Oh, wow. Most recently, one that was released this year, 2018 called The Swan Princess, A Royal Mystery, which sadly is spelled M-Y-Z-T-E-R-Y and is not about WWE's The Miz. Oh, man, I was really Uh-oh, I hoping that's where you were going when you said mystery. I actually thought you were going to say it was some sort of like feminist thing, like ms Mystery. <laughs> no, apparently, like, the villain of this, they keep marking... Is it Mizius, Mr. Mizius Pitalik? <laughs> it's You know, that was my first thought, but it has something to do with someone marking their call sign as a Z, but it turns out it's actually the letter N for somebody else. I don't know. I didn't read well, too much into it. You've had to watch this, haven't you? No, I haven't. No, my kids don't know anything about the Swan Princess. I see them. They're on Netflix or whatever. I was about to say, I know at least one of them is on Netflix, the original. They probably all are. Now that I know there's this many sequels, they probably all Because I see them come up all the time on the TV app, and it's just like, nope, uh uh-uh. Just a matter of time before your kid finds it. Yeah. And you're going to have to watch the mystery. (laughs) 
Well, let's open up here. We uh, The credits fade into that early morning establishing so- shot of a small stable on the countryside near Nazareth, home to our young unnamed protagonist and his beloved donkey small one, who's smaller, older, and weaker than three other donkeys in the stable. And let me just read something on Wikipedia about these three donkeys. It has a section on all the characters in the movie, and under the three donkeys it reads... They seem jealous that the boy spends more time with small one than them. Okay. But they understand that the boy represents a forerunner of the Christ in the tradition of John the Baptist, and they forgive the boy for his favoritism. What? <laughs> not say, I don't, I don't, think, don't think that's a thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the small I'm... one, too. Is that their mystery? <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> Like I said, I just watched this for the first time. But I didn't. Yeah, I don't think that's no. Someone this is put like that some deuterocanical like stuff edits that you would see in like some really bad Christian uh, bookstores version of it. This is the worst fan fiction ever. <laughs> yeah, that was on someone's the small one section of fanfic.net. Oh dear. Well, we spend a good five or six minutes on the boy talking to and playing with the small one in the stable. That's 20% of this short. Yeah. Well, soon after, the boy and small one get to work helping the boy's father collect wood to sell in what feels like real time. This is... (laughs) It's a very long, dragged out montage. It's not really a montage, it's just let's walk through the desert and find some wood. They're really driving the point home with this long scene of small one only being able to carry lighter loads of small sticks with the boy ends up having to help him carry anyway. But he doesn't mind. He insists to his father who finally has to break it to him, they can no longer afford to keep small one. Much like the story of Nestor, he can't earn his keep anymore. I mean, I know this scene definitely dragged on a little too long, but I do think it was very sweet to see the boy, like, ha- again, having this pet relationship with this donkey where he's like, I don't care, I'll, I'll do the work for him, like, I'm happy to. And Maybe. it just, it, it, it sets the extra step of really continuing to establish their relationship, so that way, as the emotional hits come later, it, it hits all the harder. Maybe that's where whoever edited that Wikipedia page is getting that whole tradition of john the baptist thing i don't know i mean i don't know did john the baptist walk around picking up sticks in his free time (laughs) he lived in the wilderness i don't know well the boy is obviously heartbroken that he can't keep small one but to prove he understands the situation he asks his father to let him be the one to take the donkey into the city and sell him so dad agrees and tells the son to get one piece of silver which I think value small one at about five or six dollars in 2018 American money. Uh, I'm going by another Wikipedia entry. This one was on 30 pieces of silver. We're jumping to the other end of Jesus's life now. Uh, but that entry does the math based on which coins might have been in circulation around this time in the Roman Empire. So, and five dollar donkey. That's still a pretty good deal on a donkey, even yeah, if he is especially small. an older one. An older, smaller one. Uh, but the boy promises small one to find him a loving new master. But it comes with a song, uh, A Friendly Face. We'll find a friendly face to be by your side. 
it's an adorable little song, and it was written by Richard Rich, and the other two songs in this were by Don Bluth, so... Pulled out all stops to make this happen. Friendly Face is such a cute song, and it's it's very charming to see the little boy treat this old donkey like a pet, and then also see, like, Pete's dragon's face and the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> Next morning, we see them enter the city of Nazareth, where they're met at the gate by a guard voiced by Joe Higgins. <laughs> I know of a man who is in need of just such an animal. Who was a character actor who usually played sheriffs on TV episodes and commercials. His IMDb photo is a really old picture of him in a Dukes of Hazard episode. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Yeah, here again we see the Roman guard just being, you know, the random bad guy to kind of set the story. Yeah, with a mischievous glint in his eye, he tells the boy he knows a man who's looking to buy a donkey, so he directs the boy to a dimly lit shop. And this is another, like, Don Bluth special, where you go into this dark area and you hear something bubbling in the background, and then out of the shadows... Walks the proprietor. Well, walks the proprietor of this shop, in which I recognized a very classic Don Bluth animation style of a tall man walking toward the camera. I feel like I've seen this before. I want to say it reminds me of uh, Sir Kay from The Sword and the Stone, which Bluth also worked on. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing because you get this like yeah. tall, medium built lanky dude in a tunic like yeah. that's just his go-to style he's supposed to be muscular but he ends up looking lanky somehow just because his arms are supposed to be really long i guess but both the boy and small one later find out that's the tanner looking to skin the donkey i gotta say at least kudos for like them not upping the evil of the tanner the tanner's just like i'm the tanner what do you expect instead of being like you know let him be like a cackling villain. No, Tanner's got a tan. And as we mentioned before, this is the voice of Bill Woodson, our later at the Hall of Justice. Will you take good care of him? I only want his hide, boy. I am the Tanner. The Tanner! But you don't hear that here. It's very soft-spoken. It's just like, I'm the, I'm the Tanner, kid. <laughs> but they quickly haul their still intact hides out of that shop and begin wandering the marketplace. And that is when we begin another song sequence highlighted by the three merchants, uh, among them Thurl Ravenscroft, who sing their clink, clink, clank, clank, get the money to the bank song. Clink, clink, clank, clank, get the money to the bank, telling little stories you can trust. We never, ever fail when we go to make a sale. Which doesn't make any sense for, like, bankers. No. Well, okay. Now, the last line of this song that we heard was, We work a little harder if we must. But it was apparently edited for the home video release. The original line was, We simply cheat a little if we must. And this is another line from Wikipedia, so... Take it for what it is, uh, but it says the reason for these edits is not known, but it may have to do with the merchants being, quote, Jewish stereotypes. Yeah, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> like, I wrote that down about them, and to say see that they edited it to make it less so 
Yeah, I feel like it's pretty safe to say that's probably why they had to do that. I think I it's it makes sense that's that's the case, but I think uh, going back to our other donkey thing, um, Nestor, that uh, these are at least these money lenders are slightly less stereotypical in their look. Oh, yeah. Everyone yes. is just everyone is Jewish in in uh, Nazareth. Except right. for the Roman yeah. soldier, so it's like okay, there are money lenders in the Bible. It makes sense. The lyrics a little shady, yeah. but yeah. you know, it it reminded me of and now and I didn't even know that they had edited it, but now even more so, it reminds me of the opening of Aladdin. You know, where they also edited the song oh, wow. that the merchant is sings <laughs> yes. to make it less offensive. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had the original soundtrack, which had the unedited lyric when i was growing up and then i watched it years later and i'm watching the credits and i hear that and i'm like what did they do i had no, when did this happen that throws me off every time still to this day i remember my middle school did aladdin after i'd graduated so i went back to see it and they kept the original line where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face and then i remember getting the vhs release at the time like they changed that that's different <laughs> what's wrong with cutting off your ear I didn't understand at the time but very similar situation where it was just like no maybe get that out of there that's pretty terrible but I mean it's better than the original sketches of the genie that they had oh boy (laughs) in between that chorus the boy sings out small one for sale small one And gets rejected twice, once by a potter who's also obviously voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft. No, no, little boy, I will not buy. That's a sorry bag of bones, I fear. Another is a baker portrayed by Ken Sansom, who would later take over the voice of Rabbit from Winnie the Pooh. But right around here, he's more of a character actor. No, no, little boy, I will not buy. What a scrawny, undernourished little beast. And then with no one interested in buying his donkey, the boy tries to enter Small One in a horse auction run by noted horse voice actor Hal Smith. This is a horse market, boy. I haven't time to waste on a scrawny donkey. Well, the auctioneer has no interest in selling Small One, to which the boy insists he's good enough to be in a king's stable. And that prompts the auctioneer to mockingly sing the praises of the king's donkey as the crowd laughs. Well, and then the auctioneer tries to sit on small one and shoves the boy out of the way, and that gets our donkey's goat. <laughs> I'm sorry, the dad joke just got me out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, My anyway, work here is done. <laughs> no, we're keeping it in. Uh, he kicks off the auctioneer and ends up knocking over the entire auction stage, and small one and the boy escape the ensuing chaos without further harm. Um... But then we see another kind of long scene change where night begins to fall and the boy and small one just sadly and slowly trudge through the city at multiple angles. Well, the thing about this, though, and this is one thing I noticed upon rewatch as I got older. And this reminds me of another one of my favorite, like, super emo Disney moments of uh, Dumbo and his mom. But small one just kind of 
knowingly nudges the boy and starts leading him, if you notice. And yeah. the part where they end up is outside of the Tanners. And if you don't think that's both, like, sad as hell and super dark, like, oh my god, did you did you not pay attention? Like, small one accepting his fate, like, he's gotta go for one piece of silver somehow, mm-hmm. so he's gonna let himself be sold. And it made me cry. It still makes me cry sometimes when I watch it. I kind of wish they made that a little more obvious, because I didn't notice that until this time watching it. I'm like, oh snap. I didn't notice till Lindy just said it, and now I'm sitting here feeling a little teary-eyed. Yep. But that is when a kind man appears asking if Small One is for sale, looking for an animal to carry his wife to Bethlehem. They never actually say it's him, but we all know it's Joseph. And he's voiced by Gordon Jump, the Maytag repairman. Tell me, son, are you the owner of this small donkey? I need a gentle donkey to carry my wife to Bethlehem. The Maytag repairman has a very kind and gentle voice. He does. Uh, You may also know Gordon Jump as the big guy Arthur Carlson, the station manager of WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Or on a much darker turn from a very special episode of Different Strokes. Oh my god, no, he is he's that guy. Oh, he's that guy. Oh, jeez. But that was after this. Uh, He'll still be sweet Joseph in my heart. (laughs) Yes, let's keep it there. Uh, Joseph needs a gentle donkey to carry his wife to Bethlehem, insists he will take good care of him, and offers one piece of silver. The boy accepts... Says goodbye to Small One and watches as Joseph and Mary and Small One leave on their journey as a bright star appears in the sky. So basically, Joseph bought, like, the equivalent of a Yugo to haul his wife around. (laughs) You gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, But another interesting edit in the home video version. Apparently in the film version, the star kind of the points of the star branch out a little more and it looks like a cross. And they added more points to the star on the home video. I don't know. I'm going to say, well, they didn't want to foreshadow a sequel they didn't want to make. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's because a lot of people got into Scientology and they just needed those extra points. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but any final thoughts on the small one? I really liked it. Like I said, I... I thought I had seen this once a long time ago, but once I started watching it, I was like, nope, this is just one of those I heard about so much that I felt like I'd seen. But I was really taken in by it. Um, Like, I didn't write down very many notes as I was watching it because I was just so mesmerized by it. It's very charming. I like it. I will be re-watching this one a lot. Yeah. We make a lot of jokes on this show, and it's fun, but this holds up. It's a quality short that they did, and you know I was obviously too young to see it on the re-release, but I I had the Disney Channel growing up, so I watched this as a young kid, and it definitely kicked off. Like it, it's probably why I ended up liking Nestor as much as I did because I already was like Christmas donkey, yay! But uh, this I, I can't recommend this one enough as far as a Christmas special to watch because it's it looks good it the music's good the sounds good like there there's not enough i can say good about this and it wasn't just like a cheap cash in mm-hmm. 
So you saw Small One first. Brandon saw Nestor first. I don't remember which one I saw first. It was right around the same time. I have trouble remembering. I believe I saw Small One first and then Nestor, but it's all a blur to me. Uh, I mean, you can't really say. I mean, the Nestor is definitely a bug's life to this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Nestor. No, is Nestor's the ants. Ants. Yeah, I'm to say. Small one's a bug's put life. Some respect on Bug's Life's name. <laughs> bug's Life itself is very underrated. It's uh it it's it holds up. I think in comparison to like a Wally, it's definitely a much yeah, lesser I mean, movie. Well, it's, it's lower uh, shelf Pixar, mm-hmm. but it is yeah. still Pixar as opposed to Ants. <laughs> it's still better than the Good Dinosaur. Yeah, oh, I like. I thought I, thought I the did good too. Dinosaur was cute. I, I did. didn't hate the Good Dinosaur, but I did not love it. <laughs> it like I was. Very excited about a Pixar dinosaur movie, and that was not what I wanted from that. <laughs> they didn't have, like, I mean, they had kind of a sappy ending, but it wasn't, it didn't have that Pixar touch to it right at the end. It, it, I remember walking out, it's just like, oh, it's over. Yeah, I've still only seen it the one time I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I usually watch all of the Pixar movies I've run over. It's worth another watch. I, I would have watched know, the good I didn't really care for Cars 3. <laughs> I, you didn't like I Cars really... 3? I tried to watch it when I was flying to Japan, and I fell asleep every time. I, it was oh. like I kept trying to watch that and Wonder Woman, and I'm because I'm like everyone said this is good, and I'm like oh, I can't do it. Yeah, Cars Three, I've only watched once as well. Um, Cars Three should have been Cars Two, is the problem. Yeah, Cars Three. Um, well, I liked it better than The Good Dinosaur, probably, but not just slightly. Um, I didn't really care for Inside Out or The Good Dinosaur. And those both came up that wow. same year. Like, oh, I, I loved They were both very good, but I didn't love them the way I do Wally and Ratatouille and the Toy Story movies. Yeah. Um, I thought Cars 3, okay, the first Cars to me is like Doc Hollywood, but with Cars. <laughs> and to me, Cars 3 was Rocky 4, but with Cars. <laughs> like, You're not um, wrong. Because it's like, you know, they've got this new high-tech training to train this one race car. But in order to really win, he's got to go back to the woods and train with the old cars in, like, very down-to-earth way. And there's even a (laughs) montage of him training in the woods and all. Now I need the Cars montage with the Rocky IV music. That's got to be somewhere on the internet. Oh, I wish Cars 3 had an autistic robot in it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if people want to repeatedly tout you as gentle and kind, where can they find you on the internet, Brandon? Oh, I'm at BrandMed on Twitter. Um, I don't know why I said Twitter that way. Um, (laughs) And I totally thought we were through. I thought we had been talking about other stuff. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And Lindy. I am at I eat video games at twi- on Twitter, not at Twitter. I mean, I guess at Twitter, but no, I'm just saying semantics. Well, uh, and this show is on Twitter at Advent Cal House. You can find and subscribe to us at AdventCalendar.house. Guys, thank you so much for talking about Christmas donkeys with me. Christmas donkeys are the best donkeys. <laughs>
The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network. To find more shows like this one, visit christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hi everyone, Dwayne Bailey here from the Tinsel Tunes Podcast. Did you know Silent Night is the most recorded holiday song of all time? Over 137,000 times and counting. Come join us each month as I dive into Christmas music and reveal lots of interesting facts like that. Also, learn about your old favourites, as well as getting a heads up for the new music each season. We're on all the podcast networks like iTunes, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. Check out our website, tinseltunes.com, for all the links as well as our socials. I look forward to seeing you all soon. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, Batman smelt, Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel to the Joker, got away. One piece of silver, which I think value small one... Let's pause for station identification. I thought they were in another room now. <laughs> like I want to talk room. about donkeys. They have a lot to say about the one piece of silver. <laughs> They're like, yes. small one can fetch much higher than that. Mm-hmm.